Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here and for worshiping with us today. If you're joining us online, thanks for worshiping with us here today as well. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started a series on the book of James, and we titled the series Faith in Practice. Uh, it's just a helpful title because James is very interested in us understanding what a, a growing faith looks like in our everyday practice. Not just that we say we have faith, but we have a growing and maturing faith that really uh, works its way out. And so it's a very helpful book. It's a very practical book. And it's very, very helpful because, again, when it comes to growth, um, it's not something that just happens um, all on its own. And, and so it's important for us to get it. See, you maybe have recognized this at some point before. Have you ever recognized this, that it's possible to grow up? Um, so, sorry, excuse me. It's possible to grow older but not grow up. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Let me, I'll just say that again. It's possible for someone to grow older in age, but not grow up in terms of maturity. So maybe you've met that guy um, or you've dated that guy who's in their 40s, um, but acts like they're a middle schooler, right? Has the maturity of a middle school student. So there's just this reality that it's possible to grow older but not grow up in terms of maturity. And that same thing is true when it comes to spiritual lives as well. It's possible to grow older as a Christian, but struggle to grow up in terms of maturity of our faith. And James is very interested in helping us have a growing and maturing faith. And then the question is, well, how do I know if I have a growing and maturing faith? And again, that's where James is so practical and helpful because he says, I'll help you know. I'll give you a series of tests, some things that you can kind of say, this will help me know if my faith is growing, what mature faith looks like, and helps me know if it really is truly growing. So he starts with a very simple one. He simply says, if you want to know if your faith is growing, if you're maturing in your faith, here's the question. How's your attitude in the midst of trials? Super easy, right? <laughs> But James is saying, he, he doesn't hold anything back. He says, oh, you want to know if you have a growing faith? How does it look under pressure? That's kind of the, the idea. And when we face trials, two things will happen. It will reveal our faith or our lack of faith, or it will refine our faith. And, and that's what he wants to help us see. Because again, he wants to help us understand how we can know and what it looks like to have a growing faith. So he answers the question, well, what does faith, uh, how does faith work when we face trials? And he helps us with that. It's super practical. He says, how does faith work? Here's how. You persevere under the trial. You don't try to wriggle your way out of it. And then you seek God's wisdom in the midst of your trial. And then you stick with Jesus all the way through. So it's so helpful. That he, and he helps us understand, okay, that's what it looks like to respond in faith in the midst of trials. But it's not just trials. He talks about temptations. It's another test to help us know if we have a growing and maturing faith. Why temptation? Well, it's because James knows that if under, our, under pressure, if we don't respond in faith under our, in our trials, it can turn into a temptation. And so he helps us understand how does faith work when we are tempted? And he gives some practical helps for us in terms of how we address temptation. That is, you stop the lies you set your, your confidence in the goodness of God, and you um, step forward by faith in the new life that we've received through faith in Jesus Christ. So this is how he helps us. So these are just two of the tests, but then he gets very practical again, and he hits pretty hard. And if you were here this last week, you were challenged by it, my guess is. 
Because then he begins to say, here's another test for maturing faith. Another test to help you know you're growing your faith. Here's the, here's the question. How's your anger management going, right? James understands, here's another litmus test to help us know, do we have a growing, maturing faith? And so he says, listen, how does faith work when we're angry? Here's, his, his, here's what he tells us. He says, to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Oh, how many of us would be helped if we just put that into practice, right? That needs to be a life verse for many of us. It would, it would just be very, very transformative. But that's what James is about. He's saying, this is, this is what faith looks like. You'd be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. The listening side, he then keys in on. He says, here's, here's what it, like, it means to really listen. And if you were here this last week, you know Matthew did an excellent job talking about the difference between passive listening and active listening. And James really is interested in us being active listeners. Why? Because active listeners become actual doers. Do you get that? When we're really listening to God and hearing his voice, it ought to and does impact our behavior and what we do. And so the question then is, well, how do I know if I'm really listening to God? James, again, gives us a couple of tests to help us understand. These are the key indicators that you're truly listening and hearing from God. So let me show you. In James chapter 1, verse 27, he says, This religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So he says, here's a bit of a litmus test to know that you're really listening. If you're really listening to God, it ought to impact how you see people around you, including the people who are uh, kind of pushed off to the sides, who are marginalized. Um, and that's the orphan and the widow. And to put it another way, it's do we have an eye for those who are the least, the last, and the lost? That's what it looks like to be a real listener who is a doer, um, according to James. So this, however, brings another question to mind. Because, okay, if we're to be good listeners and, and doers, that is to care for the least, the last, and the lost, another question comes up, and that is a question um, that many of us might have when we face and are, are dealing with people who are needy or have certain challenges or, or, or maybe are marginalized. A question comes up, which is this, do I have to? And the fact that we ask that question reveals something maybe a little bit deeper that James also wants to us to address, that is, you may be judgmental. You may be in a judgmental person. You may be a spiritual snob. That's what James is really trying to push towards in this next passage, we're gonna be, the passage we're going to be looking at today. The question that he asks, he answers is, how does faith work when we encounter different people? How do you respond when you meet somebody who's different from you? who you don't agree with, who looks a certain way. How do you respond to those kinds of people? Do you judge them? Do you discriminate against them um, or, or not? And that's what he's trying, to, he's, he's trying to get at. The question that James is asking is, are you a bigot? Um, it could have been the title for today's talk, but this didn't feel like a very welcoming way to come to church <laughs> this morning, right? So this is the much softer version, but trust me, James is asking the question, are you bigoted? Are you, uh, uh, are you judgmental? Do you discriminate? That's what he's trying to push towards. And it's an important thing for us to stop and assess because the truth is we do judge people. 
we do have a tendency to look at certain people and, and make quick determinations about them. So we have to pay close attention to what James is saying. And fortunately, it's very practical to help us say, okay, how does a maturing faith grow? What does it look like when we uh, face people who are different from us? And so that's the passage we're going to look at today. And I know it'll be very helpful. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to turn to James chapter 2 in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully receive a handout on your way in here. It has the passage that's printed for you. Um, but once you find it, I want to invite you to please stand in honor of God's word. And we'll read this passage together in its entirety. And then we'll come back and we'll look at it verse by verse. So James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 all the way down to verse 13. It says this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. It is, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who, does not, who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All right, go ahead and have a seat, please, and we'll take a look at this together. So, like I said, this passage really is a warning about favoritism, about being judgmental, about discriminating, um, and it's helpful for us to get and to understand. Beginning in verse 1, he says this, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. So the command is clear. And this is the, the first verse the command. He gives an illustration and gives some explanations later. But this is the core command. Don't show favoritism. And what he's really saying is stop showing favoritism. Um, and it's, so it's not a question of were they doing it. It's yes, they were showing favoritism in the early church. And if they were, we better assume that we do too. And so we need to pay attention to what James is saying. So that's the core command. Who's he talking to? We see in verse one, it says this, my brothers and sisters. And I highlight that for you because I want you to see that this is a family matter taking place. This is a family matter. And the reason why I highlight that is because I, I do want to be very, very clear that if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, you've not yet been brought into God's family. See, and, this, and that is your core issue. Your core issue today is first coming to Jesus, 
knowing who he is. Jesus, knowing Jesus and responding to him is your core issue because, again, if you haven't put your faith yet in Jesus, you're not brought into the family of Jesus. So the core issue in your life is to know who Jesus is and what he has done for you. That is knowing who he is, that he is God and, and fully God. And at the same time, he took on humanity, uh, true humanity. And so that's who he is, but what did he do? That is, he, he lived the life that you and I could not live. He lived a sinless life. And he died the death that um, we deserve to die. He died on the cross for our sins so that through faith in him, we might have life because he died in our place. That's what he did. And if you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are then spiritually born, brought into the family of God, given the enablement, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, um, brought into his family. And, it, and it's, it's a glorious and wonderful thing, but this is the key issue for you in your life. Now, if you're here and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have been brought into the family of God. And this is where James is saying this is a family matter. See, you, you come to faith, um, come into the family through faith in Christ. And now what James is interested in is helping us understand what it looks like to be faithful to Christ. Do you hear the difference there? You're brought into the family through faith in Christ. And now James is saying, here's what I want to talk to you about is faithfulness to Christ is now part of his family. So he says, brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives this long title for Jesus to say he's glorious. He's the Lord. That is, he's king. Um, he is the, he's Messiah, he's Savior, he's the one that we represent. If we've been brought into fam uh, his, the, his family, we represent the King, the Lord of Lords of glory. And so it just helps us understand, ah, that's my life, but who I represent because I follow him. And here's the command, you must not show favoritism. Favoritism is an important word for us to get because favoritism uh, just translated means to receive by face. And it's important for us to get that because we do, um, by the way, receive people by face. We, we look at people and we immediately make judgments about them based on what we see. So we see, how, see somebody, we think to ourselves, oh, I know everything uh, about people like you. We see their skin color and we think to ourselves, oh, I know everything there is to know about people like you. We see how they're dressed and we say, oh, I know everything there is to know about people like you. Without knowing them, we judge them. We make quick judgments. Oh, you associate with those people? Oh, I know, I know all there is to know about you. We make judgments without understanding and, and that's what we're doing. That's, that's favoritism. But here's the interesting thing. God does not show favoritism. See, this word favoritism shows up in other places in the New Testament. But each time this word favoritism is used in the New Testament, it's always about God and it always has the word not in front of it. Let me show you. Here's what it says in um, Acts 10, 34. It says, God, uh, then Peter began to speak. I, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. That is, God does not receive by face. He's not a bigot. He's, he doesn't show favoritism. Another passage, Romans, you might be familiar with, says this, for God does not show favoritism. This is important for us to get. Because if we are representing God, um, we need to understand God doesn't show favoritism. And why is that important for us to know? Because we do show favoritism. And so we need to be brought back to, oh, 
if I'm um, brought into his family and I'm representing Christ, I need to live as Christ did and to, to, to treat people the way that, that he does. And this is how it is, not, with not without favoritism. So it's an important thing for us to get. Now, the problem for us, again, is that we do tend to judge people. And just to kind of help with that, let me give you a couple of categories that just help. And these, these are not original with me by any means, and there's probably more categories, but let me just throw out a few of ways that we tend to judge people. The first one is we tend to judge people based on their appearance, by the way that they look. This is why we have Facebook and not soul book, right? We look at people's faces. We just do. It's just we make judgments based upon how people look and their appearance. In fact, there's magazines and, that are published you know, annually that have you know, the most beautiful people in the world. And maybe you've seen them and maybe you've had one. And my guess is as you're looking through, one thing you realize is you're not there, right? So that's one thing. But every time we see these publications or they come out, the most beautiful people and who's beautiful and who's not, it helps us recognize that we live in a culture, we live in a world, and we're a part of it that tends to obsess over and assess people based on how they look, based upon their appearance. And so it's just important for us to get that. The second one is this, um, ancestry. And this is a pretty obvious one that we tend to um, have bias or a prejudice or discriminate against people based on their ethnic background. Um, we see someone's skin color, we see someone's culture, and we, we, we step back or we think we know, but we, you know, we make judgments about it. And so it's, it does happen. And this is a critical one for us to get, especially I think as a church, because I think it's possible as a church to think, oh, we don't deal, we don't deal with that anymore. Uh, we, we, we don't do that. But what we need to hear is that we have not always had the best um, uh, history with this, have we? And so if it's been a part of the history, you have to recognize it can still be a part of our current reality um, because we, the church has missed it at times. In fact, I know that some, many people believe that the civil war could have been avoided if the church was doing its job. And there's many historians that believe that the civil war finally came to a head because the church did start finally doing its job just too late. And so we just have to be, um, be cautious and recognize that if the church has missed it in the past, we can miss it now. And we have to be very careful about how we judge people based on uh, their ethnic background. Okay, here's another one. Age. Another way that we judge people is by age. And we put these categories out there. Um, young versus old, right? You've heard that before. And we kind of amend that even. We say things like young and dumb. And we say old and slow. How about that one? Okay, <laughs> the work for you, okay. We can do these. Now, here's the deal. With any kind of generalization, there could be some truth to it. It's, it's very reasonable that someone is, who is young, as they grow up over time, it's very reasonable that they might gain wisdom over time. And if someone has, is older, it is reasonable that at some point they lose a step. But the, the problem with the categorization is if we start to look at those things and value people on those. And that's the, that's the tricky part that we have to be careful of. Here's another one. Another one is achievement. This is a very simple one. We have winners and we have losers. And we value people, we judge people based on their achievements. And this comes very clearly to us in the sports world. And I'll just use one simple example, um, a guy by the name of Russell Wilson. Have you heard of him? Okay. So when Russell Wilson was with the Seahawks and taking the Seahawks to the Super Bowl, he was a winner. 
and everyone loved him. This last year, what happened? He went to a different team, a loser team. Sorry, all you Denver fans. <laughs> he went to a loser team and he had a losing season. Therefore, what? He is a loser. And people don't love him as much. What's the one difference between that? It's the same guy. What's the one difference between the previous seasons and this last season? His achievements. Did he win or lose? And we make, ba- we make judgments about people based on their achievements. And it comes out in lots of different ways. Here's another one. I could go on. I'll just stop right there. All right. Of affluence. Um, affluence. Um, this is another one that just is clear in our world, but certainly clear in the ancient world where the money thing, the discrepancy, the rich, the poor, it's very strong. We judge people based on that. And especially in the early church, this was a big um, divider because it was very clear definition between the haves and the have-nots. And so in the early church, there was a lot of this. And this is, in fact, what James talks about here as an example, because um, it was something that they wrestled with and how they judged and perceived people um, in in a way. So let me just show you verse two. He He talks about it. He gives an example. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold rings, a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. So he's setting the picture. And just to remind you, this is a picture of church. So they're in a worship service at a time that we're probably supposed to be more tuned into God and tuned into other people. Um, So you picture that, and yet there's a distraction that takes place. Someone walks in with a really nice gold ring, and everyone's like, whoa, did you see that guy's ring? Holy cow, that's amazing. It's so big. He must be really powerful. There must be some story behind it. And so all of a sudden, instead of being tuned into God and the people around you, it's like, ooh, look at this. And we get, we start to, they start to do it. And it's not just that he had a gold ring, but also um, has fine clothes. That is, he has designer clothes on. And they walk in. Now, you're picturing it, right? Then someone walks in with a dirty filthy old clothes. And in the ancient world, that person who's coming in with dirty old filthy clothes, they don't have the option that the designer clothes guy has who's like, hey, what should I wear this morning? That guy was probably standing in front of his wife. You know, he's not just saying what this outfit or that outfit. It's kind of like this or nothing because that's the only outfit he had. You know what I mean? It's just, that's it. And so that's how poor it was. Uh, They were. And so this man comes in, filthy old clothes also comes in. So that's the picture. We see it. Verse three. And if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, um, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so again, he, he just simply points out something very clear. If you see someone who's, who's rich and that's what's happening and you say, I want to care for you. And then you see someone who's poor and you say, I'm going to be crass towards you. The rich person, you get this fabulous seat. And the poor person, hey, go over by the wall or sit by my feet later in the service and maybe you can wash them for me, okay? That's kind of the, the picture. And, and, and he's saying, listen, when you're doing that, have you not discriminated? Have you not shown favoritism based upon a perception of power or prestige or, or popularity and you've marginalized somebody else? And the answer is, yes, you do. And a follower of Jesus Christ, 
who does not show favoritism. You can't say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and then show favoritism to somebody else. But we get suckered into this all the time, by the way. Here's the, that's the illustration, but we live it on a regular basis, don't we? That we see people who have power or money or popularity, and we somehow just think that there's something more special there. Or we give special care there. And I think about this a lot when I hear like celebrities that get certain platforms and they speak about things that they are not an expert on. Um, have you ever seen that? The, the celebrity that's talking about politics or climate change or religion. And I'm thinking to myself, you do not know what you're talking about. But because they're a celebrity, we listen to them. Or they get a greater platform than someone who's an actual expert in the field. And that's just what takes place. But that's not just in the world out there. It happens inside too, where we give special treatment to some people and not to others. It can happen, as James talks about, in a worship service. It can happen here at church. We can show up to church and make judgments about people based on how they're talking. We can make judgments about people based on how they're dressed. If there's someone on the stage that has a hole in their jeans, it's like, oh man, well, I know a lot about them now. It's telling me something. Or if someone shows up late and you make judgments, if someone, you, we could you go on and on and on. We can make judgments about people quickly without really knowing them. We can show favor to some and not to others. And uh, James is saying this is incompatible with what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but it can creep up right under our nose and we can be just as spiritually snobby as anyone else in the world if we're not aware of it. You heard the, the story before of the, the woman who was born on the you know, wrong side of the track, so to speak, um, but she found her way to a you know, high society, upper crust church, and she didn't have the social awareness to know that she really didn't fit there. Um, she just wanted to worship. So she sewed up to the church to worship. And then she hears, oh, there's a membership process and a class that she can take. So she shows up to the membership class. And there's a leader of the church there who looks at her and clearly sees she does not fit in this environment. And so, uh, you know, after the class is over, he says to the woman, hey, you know, this is such an important decision. Um, you should probably go home and think about this some more before you become a member. Of course, hoping to kind of push this away and, you know, get it off of the plate and, and whatnot. So she goes home and the next week she shows back up for worship and ready to become a member. And the leader of the church again says, oh man, um, here's what you should do. You know, this again is such an important thing and you shouldn't take it lightly. Maybe you go study your Bible this week, read it, spend some time in God's word. And then, you know, then, then we'll see about this, this membership thing. See what God's, you know, reveals to you through the word. Um, she shows up the next week, ready to become a member. This guy's getting exasperated. He's like, oh man, this is not going to fit. She doesn't fit. This is going to work. So he's like, okay, well, here's what I need you to do. Just Go home this next week, and I need you to pray. Really pray and ask God for, for um, guidance on this. And if this, you know, it's a big decision, not sure, you know, let, really seek the Lord in this. She goes home, and she prays. And now, here's the interesting thing. She doesn't show back up the next week. And this guy doesn't see her for quite some time. But six months later, he runs into her, and he says, hey, where have you been? I haven't seen you in a while. And she says to him, oh, thank you so much. 
I just want to just say thanks for, you know, inviting me to pray and really ask God if this is the, the church that I should be a part of and belong to. And I was really listening to Jesus. And here's what Jesus told me. Jesus told me to not worry about getting into this church because Jesus said he's been trying to get into this church for 25 years and hasn't been let in. Okay. Again, we can be so judgmental, we could just push Jesus right out of the whole thing, right? So we have to be careful. We have to be very, very careful. It can happen right under our nose without even seeing it. So James is, again, trying to help us see that and to see it clearly. And he says, listen, oh, go back to verse 4, sorry. He says, listen, when you, do, when you discriminate, you yourselves have become judges with evil thoughts. And this is important, becoming a judge with evil thoughts. He's saying you become an evil judge. Um, and that's... that's um, really harsh, but it's a reality. And uh, the question is, well, why would we, why do we show favoritism to some and not to others? And oftentimes it's because we think by showing favoritism, by discriminating, we will actually get something in return. So we are nice to this person. We listen to their story because we think they might be a good business contact for me later. Or we, you know, spend time with this person that we think has influence because maybe I can get a favor from them later. So we play the game. And James says, don't play the game. You're discriminating. It's, it's dishonoring to God and you become an evil judge. And an evil judge, you just, you know, an evil judge would be someone who, you know, you show up and you have a, a case and you have, you're trying to prove your, your innocence, but they look at you and they say, yeah, you may have a great case, but I really don't like how you're dressed. So you're guilty. That would be an evil judge, wouldn't it? Or the opposite, you show up and you're trying to, you have your case and they say, man, I don't really care about all this stuff. You look fabulous. There you go. Not guilty. You know what I mean? And they just, they, they flip it. And so that would be an evil judge. He says, that's what you're looking like and you're doing when you're judging others. Now, verse five says this, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? So the point of this one is, this verse is to help us see how it is that God is working. And we see how it is that God's working, then we ought to say, how can we be in alignment with him? And God is working by caring for the poor and caring for those who have very little. And this was very shocking, especially for the early church, because the early church um, was a, the shocking thought for them was that God cared for the poor. And the reason for that is because they would think to themselves, well, God cares for the rich. We know that. Well, how do we know that? Well, it's because they're rich. But God definitely doesn't care for the poor because they're poor. But Jesus came as a poor man. He entered into humanity poor. He, though he was rich, became poor so that th through his poverty, we might become rich. It's God's grace. And he was poor throughout his entire life. And he, he came with great hope for all those who are poor because, hey, there's hope for me. Because of the grace of Jesus Christ, I can become rich. And so Jesus comes and he, he reaches the poor. And this is the, the, the king coming. Um, and he's, he's operating in a whole new way. And so we have to be very careful about that. And then verse 6 says this. But you have dishonored the poor. It, it, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? So instead of honoring the poor like Jesus did, who came and gave his life for even the poorest of the poor... We're dishonoring the poor by giving uh, special care to the rich, but it's the rich who are exploiting us, uh, exploiting you, and they're dragging you into the court. What does it mean by that? Well, when the 
Jewish Christians were under the persecution in Jerusalem. They got pushed out of Jerusalem and they scattered. And as they scattered, many of them found themselves now at the bottom of the social ladder as opposed to the top because they got pushed out of their homes. They had to flee. They're in good, lots of different spots. They're starting over from scratch. And all of a sudden, they're in a different position and they owe money. And the people who are rich are going after them and they're experiencing a new kind of challenge. And in, in, the, in the ancient world, Rome world, if someone uh, owed money to someone who was rich, the rich person could by law, without repercussion, grab that person, even choke them out if necessary, bring them before the magistrate and say, they owe me money. And if they can't pay now, they need to go to debtor's prison. And so that was what was taking place. And he's saying, listen, if you're going to dishonor anyone, you should be dishonoring those people who are exploiting you and dragging you to the courts. Then verse seven says this, are they not the ones who are also blaspheming in the noble name um, of him to whom you belong? So this, these same people that are persecuting them and um, persecuting Christians. And so he's saying, listen, this doesn't make sense logically for you to um, be uh, in many ways showing favoritism and, and bowing to those who have power or money uh, because they're the ones that are actually dishonoring God's name and they're dishonoring you. But there is something a reason why I think we do this sometimes is because we think if we get close to people who are wealthy or we think people have influence, then if we do that, they might act like they start liking us or they might act like they accept us. And it's important for us to note that it's not wrong to like to be like, liked or it's not wrong to like to be accepted. But if we need to be liked and we need to be accepted, then we're in a dangerous place. Or a dangerous person, and these people are, they're, they're uh, drawn to those who are exploiting them, hoping that they'll be liked, needing to be liked, and they're actually um, getting taken advantage of. So then verse 8 says this, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. So he's gone from logic to now um, a moral argument, a reason for them to not show favoritism. So he says, hey, logically, it just doesn't make sense. You're taking it, being taken advantage of. Now, morally, it also doesn't make sense. And he just takes it to a higher level because he says, um, if you're going to be really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbors yourself, you are doing right. He's, he's bringing the royal law in. The royal law was the, the king's law. Um, and this is taken from Augustus Caesar, who uh, in that time, Augustus Caesar in his, his life, he expanded his kingdom greatly. And in the expansion of his territories, there was then questions about jurisdiction and whose law ruled. And Augustus Caesar says there's a royal law. That is the king's law, and it stands above everything else. And that same idea was taken by James to say there is one law. It's the king's law, God's law, and that is the great commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, strength, right? And to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the king's law. This is the most important law that we need to keep. Then verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So when you're showing favoritism, you're not loving people the way that God loves us. Without, he, he doesn't show favoritism. He loves unconditionally. And it's not just loving the people that we like. It's loving everyone. So when we are, aren't doing that, we're showing favoritism. We're sinning. We're breaking the law. Then verse 10 says this. <clears throat> For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles on just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So he's saying, listen, 
don't get caught up in thinking, well, I, I follow God in all of these ways, but this little way, I'm not going to follow God. He said, you, you break one law, you're breaking them all. You're, you, you don't, it's all seamless. And we want to try to categorize things sometimes and think, well, we're, on average, we're doing okay. <clears throat> but he's saying, listen, you're, you're still sin, sinning. And when you're showing favoritism and discriminating against others, you are breaking the law, uh, God's law. Verse 11, he gives an example. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So he again is expanding on the fact that when we show favoritism, we're breaking the royal law to love your neighbors yourself. And by breaking even parts of the law, we're breaking the whole law. And he says, just to illustrate that, let me give you a picture. And he goes to an extreme level. He says, listen, if there's, you're standing before a judge and your argument is this, yes, judge, I did murder that guy. I I did. I'm just going to admit it. I murdered him. That's just it. But I don't know if you realize this or not, judge. Um, I have never committed adultery. So on average, I'm a pretty good guy, right? How's that going to go over? Not well, right? That person ought to get used to looking through life through bars, okay? Because you break part of it, you're you're breaking all of it. And you can't just say, well, I'll just kind of average things out. That's the whole point that he's saying. And he's using an extreme example to help us see kind of the the ridiculousness of what we tend to do when we think this way. Now, verse 12 says this. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. So we are to speak and act as those who are going to be judged. And this is, uh, this is helpful for us to say, listen, when, when it comes to how we live this out, it comes back down to our speech and our actions. And we need to recognize, we need to live in such a way that our speech will be judged. We need to live in such a way that our actions will be judged. And to have, bear that in mind, that there is judgment for how we live our life and, and, and what we say and what we do. Now, with that judgment thing, let me just say one thing to help clarify, because I know that sometimes we can get a little bit um, confused when it comes to judgment and how this all works. And so let me just talk for a moment about judgment. And I'll, I'll say this. Um, first of all, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, the scripture tells us that you will not be judged. In fact, let me just show you a couple of passages that talk about it. John 5, 24 says this, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and been brought into his family, been born from above spiritually, you will not be judged. Another passage that may be familiar to you is Romans 8, 1. It says this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you are not condemned if you are in Christ. That's important for us to see. At the same time, let me show you one other verse that's helpful for us to know. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, for we must all appear, and all means all, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so just to help clarify this, what, the, what scripture teaches is if you've placed your faith in Christ, you won't be judged. But when it comes to your faithfulness to Christ, your, um, your life, your, your actions 
your speech will be judged. Does that make sense? When it comes to faith in Christ, if you put your faith in Christ, you will not face judgment. But in terms of your faithfulness to Christ, how you live, how you treat people, what you do, it will be judged. And so the whole point is, let's be very um, aware of that because in the end, in that judgment time, we don't want to forfeit the reward for living a faithful life before the Lord. And, and that's what James is trying to help us see. Don't forfeit it. Don't forfeit or miss out on the reward that you could receive by living out um, a life that really honors God's royal law. Now, um, then he says this in terms of how we live this out. Verse 13, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, but mercy, tr mercy triumphs over judgment. So looking at this verse, I'll just simply say this. I think it's be very wise for all of us to just stop and recognize that each and every one of us has a tendency and can judge other people. So it would just be wise for us to admit up front, yep, we judge people. Yep, I, I do discriminate at times. Yep, I treat people differently based on their appearance or their achievements or whatever it might be. Just admit it up front. And then with that admission, say, God, but I need your help to live differently, to not show favoritism, to treat people equally and to honor them um, fully because that's what you did for us. See, Jesus died on the cross um, for all of us. When you see someone's face that we want to judge, just remember, Jesus died for that face. He died for them just as much as he died for you. And, he, and it would honor Christ um, to love them and to honor them because Christ honored them by dying for them. And so we have to hold that in, in mind and then recognize, okay, when we face people that we struggle with, we need to, to be merciful to them. Because if we aren't merciful, this passage says, if we show judgment and not mercy, guess what? That's how you'll experience it too. You'll experience judgment and not mercy. So don't go that, with that path or that plan. Instead, see people the way that Jesus sees people, enough to, to honor them by giving his life for them, that, and so that we might love them in the same way. Now, the passage is very clear. Do not show favoritism. And uh, this is important for us to get, but here's how God's word works. God's word is living and active, and God is also living um, and active in, in your world. And so this week, um, I'm just going to warn you, what's going to happen is God's going to combine these two things together. His word that's living and active, telling us don't show favoritism, and his activity in your world, he's going to bring this together, and he's going to put in your life someone that you're going to struggle to not judge. Okay? Stand by. It's coming. It's going to happen. I'm just telling you right now. There will be someone in your life this week that you encounter that's different from you, and you want to make a judgment about them, or that you see them, and you automatically think you're superior to them. Or that you see them and say, ah, I know everything I need to know about them. I'm going to avoid them and go around them. Stand by. It's coming. Okay? Because each and every one of us have people in our life that are going to be, that push our buttons. Or that we look at and say, they're too much this. Or they're too much that. And we're going to judge them. But this passage says, this verse says, don't judge them 
Because in the way that you judge them without mercy, you will be judged. So stand by, be ready, it's going to happen. There's going to be someone this week in your life that's too much of something. They're, they're too, too much Democratic Party for you. And if you're a, if you're a Democratic, Democrat, guess what? God has a too much Republican Party person for you too, okay? And if you're confused and don't know either way, God has a too much independent person for you, okay? You're going to face them. So here's the deal. Just because it doesn't mean you have to agree with them to mean that you still can't honor them. That's the whole point. And we really have to be clear. You will encounter someone who is loose with their money. And it may be true that they don't deal with money well. But here's the deal. If you start to um, uh, think you're superior to them or or judge them based on that, then you you need to be very, very careful. Each and every one of us is going to have someone who is too much. They're they're too needy. They're too inconvenient. They're too non-Christian. Whatever it might be that we're going to stop and say, I'm going to dismiss them. But listen, each and every one of us is too much something too, right? But God in his mercy and his grace gave his life for us. He died on the cross for our sins. He honored us with his life. And it just makes sense that if God did that for us, that we also ought to honor those, even those that we may not disagree, that we may disagree with or see as different or we struggle, but that we love them the way that God loves us and, and, and we represent him in this world. Fortunately for all of us, when we encounter those situations this week, and you're going to have them, um, God also promises that we can seek his wisdom uh, in those moments um, and he'll give it generously without finding fault. So let's take a moment and let's ask him ahead of time for that wisdom when the time comes, okay? Let's pray now. <laughs> God, we do want to come before you and just say thank you for your word. We thank you for Uh, the book of James, um, for his direct words that we need in our life. Um, Because it's no secret, each and every one of us has a tendency to judge people, to evaluate people, and um, we know it doesn't honor you or honor them. And so, God, we just ask that you would help us with our, um, uh, how we respond to people who are different from us. We pray that our our proud spirit would not um, get in the way of reflecting you, a very humble and loving King. That as we interact with people, that we would see them the way that you see them. That we would honor them, care for them, love them the way that we would want to be loved. God, we pray for your special care and mercy. We pray for your empowerment so that we might be people who truly reflect your love and reflect your grace into a world that's so desperately needs it. So God, we pray for your help.